0: hi everyone rafael harry here and you're listening to white label american a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two sometimes more thank you for listening and enjoy the show welcome to another episode of white label american thank you all for joining us Um, Another episode and we appreciate all our listeners. Well, this episode will go first on our Patreon because it's for our special people. And I would like to say thank you to Elena, to Sarah, Daniel, Mark, and of course, our guest, who's also one of our Patreons, Jeff. Um, thank you to each and every one of you. Please don't forget to subscribe to those who will listen later on. And uh, today's guest, without much further ado, he's someone who I'm proud to call a brother. He's a Navy veteran. He's a dad. He's a, a super awesome human being. I'll put it that way. And he's going to give us a lot about himself, so I'm not going to go too much into it. But he has um, a unique background that's a lot different to the background of uh, people who we've had on the show. So we'll just dive into it. You know, and uh, without much further ado, I welcome Jeff Schoenmacher. I like saying it the European style. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, brother?
1: I'm doing well, man. I, like I said, I appreciate you uh, you having me on, and uh, you kind of referenced it. I know my uh, my story is a little bit different uh, than the majority of the uh, the stories that you feature on this show. So I'm uh, you know I'm excited about being given the opportunity to uh, to talk about it and uh, share it. Uh, but I'm doing well, man. Uh, uh, you know, th- things are things are going pretty good for me, uh, surviving uh, the pandemic, same as anybody else, I guess, and uh, just trying to get through it. Uh, hey. But
0: hey, that's uh, that's what we're about. And um, another thing about this podcast is it's about learning, and it's about sharing stories, and it's about everybody um, taking something from each person's um, journey and using it to move forward. So. You know, we're we trying not to just stick to only one side of the story and, uh, or one side of things. And, you know, sure. yes, yes we, we can learn. We can learn from so many backgrounds. And because we all have a lot in common than we think of. And uh, the main thing about this podcast is about breaking the artificial walls that right. have been set up around us. So if we don't hear from uh, people who we consider to have a different background to us, how are we going to be able to break those walls? So, Absolutely yeah so without much further ado let's uh, let's dive in to our guests. We don't, they don't want to hear about me they don't want to hear about you. So introduce introduce us to your childhood and where you were born you know and give us some some juice. Yeah man so
1: uh, a little bit different than the majority of your guests. I was actually born here in the United States. I'm uh, from uh, Aurora, Colorado uh, just outside of uh, Denver uh, grew up there, spent my first, 16 years or so in uh, in Denver, Colorado. Uh, um, uh, loved it. Uh, my junior year of high school, I actually packed up and moved to uh, uh, a small town in rural Southwest Missouri. Saw a different part of the country there. Uh, a really interesting place, uh, no doubt. Um, so did a did a couple of years in Missouri uh, after Colorado, uh, and then uh, found myself uh, in the Navy, uh, like you had uh, uh, you know touched on there at the beginning of the uh, the show here. Um, you know, I've, uh, done a lot of traveling, traveled extensively, um, for, for many, many years, uh, East Africa, Eastern Europe, the Middle East, primarily, um, those three regions of the world that I've found to be extremely interesting. I've spent a lot of time in various countries, uh, you know, throughout those regions. Um, I'm a married father of two. I currently live in, uh, in Delaware of all places. Uh, I've been here for about a year and a half now um and you know i'm uh, i'm i'm in the home building industry uh, i'm looking to uh to to put people in homes at uh at affordable prices uh and that's that's kind of what i uh, what i do these days trying to trying to find roofs for people
0: so before we come into something that just popped in my head that you're a man who has a lot of east in your life because all of a sudden you seem to be finding yourself in a part of the world that is either Eastern Africa, or the Middle East, or Eastern Europe, or Eastern United States, the yes, East sir. Coast. Yeah, so that just popped in my head. But before we get into that, where do you consider uh, your favorite childhood memory from?
1: Yeah, so uh, you know, this was something that uh, I I've thought about a lot recently. You know, what, what was it about my childhood that was so unique and so special? And uh, it's funny. Um, you know, my favorite childhood memories aren't unique or special at all. And, and, and we can talk about this a little bit later on in the show here as we get into some of the, uh, the traveling that I've done. Uh, but my favorite childhood memories, are, it's playing, playing sports out in the front yard with the, uh, with the neighborhood kids. Uh, oh. you know, now for us, it was baseball and, uh, street hockey, uh, more so than, than soccer. Yeah. Uh, and, and when I say football, I mean, American football, but, uh, 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 you know, baseball, football, hockey, but it's it's just being out in the street, roughhousing with the neighborhood kids. Uh, I had a great childhood. I really did. I was fortunate to grow up in a place where uh, I had the opportunity to uh, to do these things uh, uh, safely uh, with a lot of a lot of kids my age. Uh, but really, that's what it was, man. It's the love of sport and the love of competition, and you know, getting rough and aggressive and uh, having fun with each other. That's really what I remember from my childhood most. There's not one moment that defined my childhood it doesn't stick out as being my most favorite memory of all time it really was just the the the, the ability to to go out and have fun every day safely yeah. uh compete and get dirty and sweaty and uh, while not everybody has the opportunity to do it as safely as I did and as comfortably as I did mm-hmm. I think it is universal uh that kids yeah. just want to play, and play. Uh, yeah
0: uh, I, I think it doesn't matter the sports but it, it, it's the, the ability to interact and, you know, get to be with other kids, it, it builds something in you, you know, um, even from the medical side of things, you know, you're, you're building um, an immunity to gems and all that. But on the social side, you're building skills, a skill, yeah. a certain skill set from um, leadership qualities to um, teamwork to... Uh, all manner of things that we don't consider now, but just in the aspect of having fun, you know, you don't, it, it, it's not a structured setting. It's just kids being kids, just go out there, play. Yes, and, there might be a bully, there might be, but even navigating all that, just children being able to navigate that, it starts to build. Absolutely, and we don't think about it until we start looking back now. Like, oh, how did we go about it? And you start, oh, wow, look, I did that, and I did this, and they start seeing how cool you are today. You know. Well,
1: I'll tell today. you this. You know, uh, I'll tell you this. I, I wasn't a very competitive athlete growing up. I did have a lot of structure as well, uh, and those memories are fantastic. Also, um, you know, today you 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 hear terms like travel ball and. Uh, you know, I, I did that, you know, I played very competitive baseball. I traveled throughout the uh, the Western United States uh, uh, playing baseball. That's, those are great memories too. Um, uh, but in terms of my childhood, uh, you know, quite honestly, some of those competitions, I, I felt like, uh, you know, made me grow up a little bit faster than I wanted to because uh, mm-hmm. you start worrying about uh, uh, more than just having fun with your friends, uh, in yeah. that structured environment. Um, so when I think about, you know, what made my childhood great, it wasn't necessarily the, the structured competition so much as the, uh, uh again, just kind of the roughhousing with, the uh, with the group of guys that, 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 lived down the street. Um, and, you know, I talk about safety a little bit. I was, I was fortunate in that I was able to do it safely. And I, I, I say that now I wouldn't have said it back then. Cause yeah, we, you know, we broke our arms and we, we scraped our knees, uh, same as anybody. <laughs> But when I say safe, uh, you know, I've watched little kids playing soccer in uh, Somali villages uh, and and pulling out, you know, three inches worth of acacia thorn uh, from their foot.
0: You know, I didn't deal with acacia thorns uh, when I was playing.
1: uh, (laughs) It's uh, it's
0: different now. It's different now. This generation, I mean, for for my generation playing in Nigeria, we, we played outdoors in the rain, in the sun. I mean, we played until nightfall. Nobody worried until your your parents came looking for you. Like, well, why are you still outside? You don't know. You got to come home, Drop, pull you by the ears kind of thing. And, you know, I talk to people from other countries and they have something like that too. Like, yeah, you kept playing and playing and playing. It didn't matter what, if it was sports or you were just playing with kids, you were doing something outdoors, just, but that, that falls under the safety because you felt safe around your bodies. Correct. Also. So Correct. You didn't. Consider even if you were doing something that quote unquote was dangerous, it wasn't considered dangerous among the kids. You know? It's but all relative, in,
1: right? It's, yeah, all, it's all
0: relative. But in today's um, generation, in today's uh, in today's world, it's going to be like, oh my god, I'm calling, I'm calling child protective services. <laughs> <laughs> like what else is going? On? <laughs> exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, you know, that, 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 it reminded me of uh, this video I saw on um, Google Talks of um, an American lady who moved her family to Germany. And uh, I think it's called Achun Achun Baby. Achun Baby, I think it's called. And she was talking about the first time she took her kids to the playground. And she ended up realizing that she was like the only person who was like freaking out every time her kids fell or something happened to her kids. And she, she noticed that like all the German parents who were at the playground were just relaxed. Like, yeah, it's a playground. Kids are supposed to fall. Sure. They're supposed to get injured. They're supposed to like that kind of thing. But the re- American reaction seemed to be like, ah, are you okay? Is it, is it, is it, do I need to take you to the hospital or something? Right. And right. she was like, it's, it's, "It's they're not saying they don't care, but they're kids. Let them discover certain things. Them, they, they have to figure it out on their own. And that's absolutely they, right. If it's really bad, you know, it's really bad. <laughs> and I watched <laughs> that. That was before I even had Clara. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. That, that's, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. It's because we, we grew up like it. that too, to be honest. <laughs> absolutely,
1: absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's what I think of when I think back to uh, to my childhood more so than than anything else. But I was fortunate. I was raised very very well in a very safe uh, part of uh, Metro Denver, and I, I really have nothing to complain about, man. I was I, I I lived a childhood whereby I was free to have fun, and that's what yeah. I really really appreciate the most.
0: So, which. That childhood that you had, um, did that lay the groundwork for you adopting a spirit that can be considered nomadic in a way or adventurous where it seemed like, you know, you you now, you know, started um, being attracted to travel or wanting to go experience other places and see other parts of the world? Yeah. So, you know,
1: quite honestly, I
0: don't think my upbringing, uh, had much to do
1: with that at all. Um, it wasn't, uh, something that existed within my parents, uh, or my siblings per se, uh, not even so much my friends. Um, really, uh, I think it was within me. And, and, um, as I think about this, um, you know, I was exposed to a lot of immigrants as a child, uh, a lot. Um, I was very fortunate in that regard. Um, that said, I, I did grow up in an area that was um, you know, very much um white, uh, upper middle class. Yeah. Um, so the immigrants uh, that I was exposed to, uh, they did stand out a little bit. Um we, you know, you knew who they were. Uh you knew that they weren't necessarily from where we were from. Um for some people that created, you know, um some animosity. It it, it, it uh, led them to tease people or pick on people. Uh, for me, it was the exact opposite. I uh, uh, was intrigued by it, um, you know, and I, I, I sympathized with these individuals who were um, so unique relative to the rest of us or the majority of us growing up where I grew up. Uh, that I became very, very interested in, in who they were and, and where they came from, and um, you know what it was that, that made them who they were uh, relative to what uh, what I had been used to and had been exposed to in the past. Um, so my desire to travel, I think, um, stemmed from a desire to get to know people better, uh, because I didn't think it, uh, you know, I didn't think it was right to see people getting picked on for being, um, from where they were from or for speaking the way that they spoke, uh, or for eating the food that they ate. Um, that wasn't a problem for me. That was an opportunity for me, even at a, at a young age, I recognized that, um, and as I got older uh, and discovered the means to travel, um, I, I took full advantage of it. Um, so that's really where I, f- I feel like my uh, uh, sense of adventure uh, began, um, hmm. more out of more out of empathy yeah. than than anything that I had been exposed to uh, as a child.
0: So was was that, that why sense. you f- you ended up finding yourself in the navy?
1: Yeah. So, uh, it, you know, the Navy was an interesting choice for me. Um, you know, it, not many people know this, but prior to signing my contract with the Navy, I had actually engaged with, uh, with the army, um, you know, for, for a little while I had uh, had intended, uh, on joining the army and kind of a, a secondary infantry role, kind of a combat role, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents really struggled with that. So I rethought that decision and, and ultimately settled on the Navy. Um, but the, the desire to join the military, at all, wasn't you know uh, born of some crazy sense of nationalism. Uh, it really wasn't for me. Um, you know, I did have that sense of adventure. I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the world. I felt like the military would have, would afford me that opportunity. Uh, but beyond that, I was somebody that uh, you know. I didn't really enjoy school in, in the later years. I didn't know what I was doing with my life at the time. Uh, I just knew I wanted to be productive. Uh, I wanted to make some money. I wanted to see the world and, and, and I felt like the military would, uh, allow me to do that. Um, you know, I did fall into some, some, you know, uh, Nationalistic tendencies to a to a certain extent. I I, I did buy into that um, for a couple of months, uh, uh, not for very long. But there was a, a period of time where I considered myself Joe Navy, uh, a term <laughs> that you're probably familiar with. Uh, yeah. But that faded away very very quickly, and I I got back to doing what uh, what I wanted to do, and that was uh, using it as a springboard to uh, to see the world and meet interesting people, uh, and that's what I did.
0: Yeah, some, as someone who um at one point in time I also wanted to join the army, but for a different reason. Cause I thought um, as someone who couldn't swim, the army would be easier. Ah <laughs> 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 sure. sure. oh, man. Yeah, the, the, the things. How'd you the, feel
1: when they pushed you off that high diving boot camp, man?
0: Um yeah, but by then I was like, uh yeah, I'll I'll survive. <laughs> they they yeah, won't let me just drown. That's <laughs> <just> fine. <laughs> hey, I think I had more confidence when I got to the top of the um what, what's was it called? The, the the dashboard. Is it the dashboard or the, the jumping board? Yeah, and the platform. Yeah, the platform. Yeah, when I got up there and there was actually a white kid who like froze and then jumped out of the line and was, ah, I'm not, I'm not jumping. I was like, wow, there's a white kid here. Who's refusing to jump. He's scared. Sure. And I thought it was going to be a black kid who'll be doing this. So I'm actually, you know what? I can, I can do this. (laughs) That gave me confidence to say, I'm going to jump. And yeah, I, I can do this. And I actually jumped and swam, but I started, I started doubting myself. So I got towards the end and then I, uh, I, I I don't know why I, I changed my mind because I was swimming on my back and then I was like, okay, let me swim on my front. And I flipped over and I was pretty close to the end. And they they me out. They were cussing me out like, "Why why did you stop? Why did you stop? You could you almost got you almost touched the wall and then you decided to turn over." And actually, one one of the instructors said, "You you know what? Go. I'll let you move to the next round." And the uh, the chief said, "Hell no." He, he he got almost to the end and then decided to stop. Nah, he should go back and start all over again. And I couldn't do it. So I, I was like, ah <laughs> why did I why did I <laughs> how many times how many times did they end up pushing you off that platform before they uh they passed you? Oh I I ended up going to ship 17. Um yeah, um, but I, I didn't go to um uh, what's it called? The the last test we we're supposed to do. I didn't go to my division, I ended up going with another. Uh, with with um, what they call with with uh, another division for theirs because I ended up going to ship seventeen because it, they 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 thought I wouldn't be able to make it. So I w- when I went to the ship seventeen and I saw so many people had been there for months. I was like, how many, how long have you been here? They were like, oh, I've been here for six months. I've been here for f- five months. I was like, what? No 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 no. I pass. I, pass, yeah. I jumps The next day. I passed the street. The the mental block was gone. (laughs) I I passed the street.
1: I passed the float.
0: It was like everything was like bam, 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 bam. It was so fast. I was like, wait. So I could have done all this. (laughs) Oh man! It was yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. I I came
0: back and people on on the ship. People there were like, wait. Uh, we've been here for months. We can't pass. How, how the hell you do it? I was like, uh, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I just want to yeah, get right? out. <laughs> so uh, I think I, I got out of my division on a Monday. I passed on a Tuesday, and went to the train. Uh, the last test on on uh, on uh, Wednesday to Thursday. So the Friday morning that my division was graduating, I still graduated with my division. So, I was, uh, but I didn't match with them. That was the only, the only difference. So
1: that worked out um, well.
0: He <laughs> walked out. Well. <laughs> I, was, I was there. My when my RDC saw me, they were like, "I knew you were gonna make it. I knew you just had that push." I was like, oh, "Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess."
1: <laughs> well, I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you this too, man. Uh, you know, uh, when I went through boot camp and, and and then A school, I actually stayed in Great Lakes uh, for A school. Um, It was still uh, a situation whereby you know the the people who finished tops in their class uh, uh kind of got to. They didn't necessarily get to choose their duty station, but they definitely got to uh, submit their, uh, preferred, uh, destinations. Oh yeah. Uh, I finished second in my class. Uh, the guy who finished ahead of me was, uh, the definition of Joe Navy. Uh, I'll never oh, forget. It was uh, always like that, man. It was always like that. And he earned it, you know, he earned it. Uh, but he was, uh, uh, you know, a military, military brat, if you will. He grew up in that, uh, in that environment, which I didn't. Um, and he volunteered himself to, uh, uh be stationed on a ship out of norfolk virginia Ooh, uh, which you know wow. at the time people were like why would you why is that what you want to do why is that where <laughs> you want to go um, so of course he got assigned to a ship in norfolk virginia um, you know for me i asked to go to the middle east i said i don't care where you send me just send me to the middle east and they're like why in the world would you want to go to the middle east well that's to me that's the center of the world they, mm-hmm. you know i want to be I want to be involved in, in what's going on in the world right now. And they're like, you know, you could go to Hawaii, you could go to Key West, you know, you could go you know, to, 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 to all these other really nice places. You're saying, just, just send you to the middle East. And uh, again, that's, that's the mentality that I had. Um, I wanted to be where the action was. I wanted to be, you know, uh, where, History was being made, and and for me that was the Middle East at the time, uh, and, and that's how I ended up uh, where I ended up. Um, but uh, the Middle East was a choice for me, uh, and, and as you know, I, I I stayed
0: there for several years. Oh yeah, um, my that's choice. I'll meet you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even for me, I I chose uh, because I wasn't top of my class, but I um, the only options I was given was uh, you could pick East Coast, West Coast, but. East Coast, you could write uh, f- uh, overseas. I think you could add Italy. We could write overseas. Also. That was the way they did it back then in our A school. So I put overseas included to my East Coast and West Coast. But it was I made it clear that I wanted overseas because I, I was like, I don't want to stay in the United States. I want to go overseas too. Right. <laughs> that, that was just me. I wanted to go outside and see places. And then they gave me uh, uh Virginia beach for my first option so, so they were like oh wow you're lucky they were like you're lucky like you got short duty I was like what, what's that uh that, that, that's that's within united States I, I thought I was going overseas I wanted overseas right. and then my um it was for my sea duty and I picked Bahrain Bahrain um I think I picked japan then um Seattle I was like okay oh, they, they were like you have to still pick somewhere within the states so I picked Seattle and I got Bahrain and I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Finally, I got somewhere overseas sure. and yeah, I was, I was happy. and full, like, what? you got, you got, you, you go, I'm like, yeah. And well, my family, my family wasn't that happy <laughs> that I got <laughs> me the list. <laughs> but to me, I was like, yeah, finally. And if the detail I had not written to, um, my department head that I must speak a ship in. You know, I don't know why the, the, the detailer did that and said I must pick um a ship in norfolk when I was trying to uh um because they, they didn't allow me to renew at, at, uh in Bahrain because I said I, w- I want to go overseas or uh, stay in Bahrain or even west coast but I, I, I'll but I I'll, I'll stay overseas I'd rather stay overseas but he wrote uh, and they showed me the, the email that said I must speak somewhere in norfolk and I said, all right, I'm out, I'm not staying. That right. was it, <laughs> that was it. I was like, uh, for you to even specify Norfolk, not even give me any other option. I said, yeah, that's it, I'm out, I don't have to stay. Well, and That uh, was that was back when we
1: were allowed to uh, contact our detailers directly. Uh, you know, and, and I used to call my detailer pretty regularly and I would tell him, look, man, uh, if you want me to stay, if you guys want me to stay in the Navy, you know, I'll consider it, but you got to keep me overseas. Uh, I don't want to go back to the States. Uh, you know, and that's not something that they would guarantee. Uh, you know, I was fortunate. I, you know, I, I never had a stateside assignment uh, and I fought hard for that. Uh, but uh, my time was running out. You know, at some mm-hmm. point they were going to <laughs> bring me back to Virginia. They were going to, you know, put me wherever they were going to put me. Uh, but I used to tell my detailer, I'd call them up and I'd say, you keep me in the Middle East and, 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 and I'll stay in. I'll sign for another two years. Uh, but you know, they're not going to keep you in the Middle East for 20 years anymore. That's Oh, of uh, course.
0: For that, I understood and I was fine with it. But I've met people who have been overseas 16 years and they just went to different countries. And I was like, wow, if you if if I could get five to 10 years overseas, I probably would have done I probably would have done at least 10 years in the name right I, yeah that I was, was my state. mentality
1: as Love well. very
0: similar but as soon as they were like i oh, we want you back right away i'm like yeah yeah because there the were ships overseas i would have done a ship overseas i would have done sure. ship in italy i would have done a sheep in japan i would have gone but sure. i told them i said I'm, I'm willing to go but you guys don't take advantage of that all right okay i'm out thank you uh my, my contract is literally over by the time i leave bahrain so yeah, <laughs> it works perfectly for me. <laughs> I, had the, I had the same mindset, man, oh. same mentality. So um, when you, 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 you left for um, the Middle East, what was the first culture shock that, um, that, that hit you?
1: Uh, you know, the, the, the first culture shock, look, I, I had prepared myself mentally for what I was getting myself into as best I possibly could. Um, you know, in, in terms of the culture shock, you know, look when you when you first land in the Middle East, uh, you know the majority of countries in the Middle East—not all of them, but but a lot of them—and um, you do see you know the women in the abaya and, and yeah. hijab, and um, you know that 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 that'll hit you a little bit. Uh, you know, it's not something that uh,
0: um, you know ever bothered oh, me. W- w- wait, like na- let me let me cut you down a little bit. Sure, sorry about sure. that. Um, did you attend that? Um, we had orientation class for people going overseas. That had everybody going wherever in the world in the same room, and no, it was I, like the, I, the guy, I, the guy goes through every single place because <laughs> every every country in the world in, oh, in man. thirty
1: minutes. You, yeah, yeah, no, I, it, did, it, I, I, I did. That big enough because when, uh, you know, when I first landed in uh, in Manama. Um, I yeah. did get, to, uh, you know, I got to visit the grand mosque. Uh, oh, okay. You know,
0: which, so you, you, attended the one, the, the, your first orientation was when you arrived Correct. in Bahrain. Correct.
1: Okay. So I got to visit the grand mosque, uh, and, and, and you know, uh, visit a couple of sites throughout the country, um, you know, which, which was neat. Uh, it was very superficial. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's not how you learn, uh, about a culture and a country, yeah. uh, by a, uh, you know, a tour. Guided by the United States military, uh, <laughs> you, you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. Look, getting to Bahrain, uh, it, it wasn't that shocking to me. Uh, it really wasn't. It was a little different, um, but it, it wasn't shocking. Bahrain, uh, you know, there are there are some locations in the world that uh, uh, did culturally shock me. Of course, there were. Uh, you know, Bahrain wasn't one of them per se. Uh, and I can definitely speak to a couple of places that uh, uh, that were. Uh, a little bit culturally shocking, uh, if you will. Um, but uh, for me, I in, in the Middle East, I've traveled extensively throughout the Middle East. Um, you know, I lived in Bahrain for for three years, but traveled throughout the Middle East a fair amount. Um, I felt very comfortable in the Middle East. I always have. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it was some of my travels in East Africa uh, that were a little bit culturally shocking. Um, you, you know, and I can speak to that a little bit
0: if you're interested. But uh, for the most oh, yeah, part, I am. But before we get into that, uh, I did the the weird, because by, by the time I came to Bahrain, you were already there for a little bit. And I did the, 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 they had the weird orientation class for those living for everywhere in the world. I didn't know that. I thought it was just going to be for those heading to Bahrain only. And it was in Norfolk because I was in Virginia Beach. So you had to go to Norfolk for this class. And you show up there and it's like, uh then you discover that everybody in that room is literally going everywhere in the world. And this instructor comes in, he's like the type of guy who couldn't give a damn about he didn't give a damn about anybody there. It's just like, oh, where are you going? Yeah, I'm going to Germany. Where are you going? I'm going to Singapore. Where are you going? I'm going to Guam. Where are you going? I'm going uh, all right, all right. I write every country on the board. And he's like, all right, I spend 15 minutes telling you about each place. You, yeah, don't do this. Yeah. You don't do this there. So anyway, it's like, okay, how many people go to the Middle East? Everybody just lumps them together. And of course, Sharia law. Don't talk to their women. Come by yourself. And I'm like, shit. Yeah. So it's, maybe it's, maybe, at, maybe at, I chose the, I'm, I the I'm wrong glad place. You
1: that up. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. That is one of the expectations when you land in the Middle East is, you
0: know, who can I talk to? Who can I look at? Uh, yeah. You know, but, say? you know, I was born in Nigeria, with, and I grew up around Muslims, but it's a different, you know, I, I guess I was already becoming Americanized, and then after the orientation for some my mindset just changed to like, oh man, I chose the wrong duty station. I wish I, I wish I could change it now to somewhere else. <laughs> so that just made me like, oh man, I don't want to come to Bahrain anymore. Oh, I, I, and then when I arrived in Bahrain, and you know, I, I was, I, I was like, I'm only going to stay on base, just hang around base. And then after like two weeks, I'm like, man, what the hell? This is rubbish. <laughs> 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 to, to, to get out and explore. And you know, you
1: talk about that guy um, speaking to everybody, regardless of where they're going throughout the world. And to me, that's quite honestly, it's incredibly disrespectful. It's very dismissive. That, uh, that dude probably never been to any of those countries. Uh, you that's can't it. talk about. You can't. You can't teach anybody anything about an entire country uh, in in ten minutes, man. And and, and to yeah. to to even. Act as though you can, I think, is 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 wrong and and a failure of the United States military. Uh, quite honestly, to to oversimplify, um, you know, the lives of billions of people. Quite literally, it's just uh, it's unbelievable. Um, but you know, again, I've traveled throughout the Middle East, and every Middle Eastern country is different. Exactly. Right? Every you
0: yeah. know, you
1: know, I go to uh, you know, you know, I've been to uh, Beirut, Lebanon. Right? You spend mm-hmm. time in Beirut, Lebanon. It's very different than uh you know uh Muscat oman uh you know where uh, i've spent a lot of time as well uh you travel from muscat uh, uh you know right up to dubai it's a 30 minute flight right totally yeah. different world uh in the united arab emirates it's a totally different world uh, it, 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 within the united arab emirates, united arab emirates excuse me um so you know again you you do have those 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 fears and those biases and those unknowns as you travel to a new part of the world, uh, especially one that's uh, so heavily stigmatized uh, sure. in the United States, uh, you don't really know what to expect. Uh, but guess what? You, know, uh, you, you, you find very, very quickly that everybody's the exact same. Everybody is, everybody is entirely different and everybody is exactly the same. Right, yep. uh, and, and, and what I mean by that is we're all pursuing the exact same things in life, right? We all want to have fun. We all want to eat good food. Uh, we all want to take care of our loved ones and provide, right? Uh, the way we go about it, uh, uh, for a number of reasons, what we believe or what we've been taught to believe, our our environment, um, you know, the outside influences that have uh, impacted our environment. Changes the way we pursue those things and how we go about our day to day, but we're all exactly the same, even though we're all entirely different. Uh, right. So, look, have I had conversations with Muslim women in the Middle East? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Have they approached me uh, in conversation? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, some of these 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 ideas that exist in the United States. Uh, uh these things that we believe or we think we know we have no idea we have no, no. idea uh, and again that 's part of why I wanted to get out there so badly uh, because I had seen uh what these these folks had dealt with um you know in my neck of the woods growing up as a child, and it just didn't feel right like that's not that's not the way this is that's that's not the way it should be that 's not how we should be interacting with folks who are a little bit different than us um and that's why. Uh, again, I, I, I felt so compelled to experience the places that I've experienced. Um, you know, uh, one of my first interactions uh, uh, with the Middle East was actually during the, uh, the, the first Gulf War. I was a little kid at the time. Um, and I remember being in my fifth grade class and we had uh, um, some folks from Kuwait, um, adults, uh, uh, walk into our class from Kuwait, um, you know, to speak to us about what was going on. Uh, wow. in the Persian Gulf at the time. Um, you know, I, I think if you canvas, uh, all of my classmates from back then, I don't know how many of them would remember that to me that sticks in my, in, in, you know, in my, in my soul, I remember it, mm-hmm. uh, vividly. Um, and I, I was intrigued. I was interested to hear their story. Um, which is part of the reason why I enjoy your podcast so much. I enjoy hearing immigrant stories, you know?
0: Wow. That's, and that's, uh, that brings me because you just mentioned now that you mentioned Kuwait, it reminds me of um, an experience that you had with the Kuwaiti embassy while in Bahrain. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness!
1: So the uh, uh, the story of the Kuwaiti embassy, man, this is uh, this is a unique one. Um, so in in Bahrain, right? You uh, you know, on Thursdays and Fridays, uh, you go to the, uh, the the Bahrain City Center. Right. That's what you do. The city center is the place to be. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, You remember on Thursday nights uh, in Bahrain, uh, the country was inundated with Saudis and Kuwaitis and and Emiratis. Um, So the highways were just jam packed, jam packed, uh, especially on a Thursday night. Right. Nine o'clock at night on Thursday. It was crazy, Uh, just madness. Um, At the time, I was driving a 1999 Volkswagen Polo right? I bought it for $2,000 off of a local Bahraini. Um, It was just kind of a get around car. Uh, It had a tendency to uh, overheat. All right. Uh, And it didn't just overheat. It would smoke. All -hmm. right. Um, So Thursday night I'm coming home from the, uh, the city center, bumper to bumper traffic, you know, Saudis and Kuwaitis and Qataris and Emiratis all over the place. Right. Uh, And sure enough, my car starts smoking on the highway. All right. Uh, To get to the city center from where, uh, I lived in, uh, Jafer. uh, you know, you had to cross, uh, what was known as kind of the diplomatic area, right? Oh yeah. It oh, yeah. so my, as my car started to smoke. Um, you know, I just reacted and I pulled off the highway the first place I possibly could, uh, to get out of traffic. I definitely didn't want to be the guy holding up traffic, uh, uh with a, with a, with a, with a overheating Volkswagen Polo. So I pulled off the highway and into, uh, the first spot that I felt was available for me to pull into. Uh, it just so happened to be the gate, the entrance to the Kuwaiti embassy. All right. So, so picture this, if you will, uh, it's pitch black, it's Thursday night, uh, and, and you're the gate guard at the Kuwaiti embassy, uh, you know, with your, your MP5, uh, and somebody pulls up to the gate with a smoking car, Oh right? Man. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I scared this guy half to death, uh, oh. he, he definitely uh, turned uh, his his MP5 on me, uh, and had two other guards come out. So I had three MP5s trained on me uh, as I sit in front of the Kuwaiti embassy with a smoking car. Uh, I get out, you know, I'm uh, 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 apologizing profusely, trying to communicate to them that, like, uh, you know, I mean no harm. I just, you know, my car's overheating. Uh, oh, scared okay. the poor, poor guy. The poor uh, guy. Uh, like, um, ultimately, look, man, you can't park <laughs> here and angrily. Uh, uh, moved me along, uh, which I understood. I get it, I get it, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was an adventure. Uh, that was a, a night I'll never forget, and it's probably a night he'll never forget. He'll probably telling the same story to
0: uh, <laughs> yeah, to,
1: to somebody in Kuwait right now.
0: <sighs> All right, so before we jump ahead, uh, let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back shortly. Hi everyone your host Raphael Harry here I can't believe we've gone past our one year anniversary of doing white label American I've had the privilege of speaking with some amazing people sharing their modern-day immigrant stories and you've allowed this Nigerian immigrant to share parts of his immigrant journey through this podcast also one of my goals of this podcast is breaking down artificial walls that keep people from getting to understand each other based on your wonderful feedback over the last year i think we have done a decent job in breaking down some of those walls we would like to continue and expand on this mission but we need your help i've had an amazing time creating and producing episodes for this show largely on my own we have a lot of ideas for new and exciting content to expand upon the mission but we need direct support from you our listeners which is why we have created a white label american patreon page where you can make a one-time donation or become a sustaining contributor where you can get access to exclusive content help me interview upcoming guests by submitting questions and even have the chance to sit down with me for a one-on-one conversation either virtually or in studio. So if this podcast means something to you and if you really love this show, think about becoming a sustaining contributor and donating by going to Patreon.com slash White Label American P-O-D. Thanks for listening and for the privilege of your company. All righty. So you also spent some time in East Africa and uh, you touched, you, you, you visited a country that many Africans are not even aware of that is an African country, uh, the Comoros Islands.
1: Yeah. What,
0: what stood out to you about that that place? Wow, uh, Comoros. So I was in uh, a grand, on Grand Comor, which is the
1: largest of the three islands in uh, mm-hmm. in Comoros. And for for the folks that don't know, Comoros is a chain of islands uh, that kind of is situated in the uh, Mozambique Channel, uh, just northwest of uh, Madagascar. Yep. Um, so I spent uh, about a month on Grand Comor. Uh It was a, a a fantastic place. It's a you know. Uh, volcanic island uh, uh very green uh, overgrown jungles um the electric grid was very very weak there um you know supply shipments came once every two weeks maybe once every three weeks um so access to uh uh, uh some of the creature comforts uh that uh, that many of us are familiar with uh it could be difficult uh at times um mm-hmm. uh, but man uh the the comoros islands were were just fantastic um, you know i've met uh, uh, a, a gentleman down there who, uh, just, you know, was so happy, uh, to show off his children. And, uh, he was so proud of his son. He had a couple of daughters that, uh, he loved dearly, but, uh, when he, when he spoke about his son, it, it was just, uh, one of the most impressive, uh, conversations I think I've had with somebody just so proud of his, his youngest little boy. Um, but, uh, you know, I remember, uh, you know, at five, five o'clock at night, every night, I would go to the roof of uh, the building that I was living in. Uh, and I would watch the fruit bass fly, uh, oh, you wow. know, I, 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 would swim in the ocean and, uh, you know, the coral was fantastic off the, off of the islands, as you can imagine. Um, but look, you know, there, th- th- there's not much going on, uh, on Comrose. There's not a whole lot of opportunity to make money. There's not a whole mm-hmm. lot of uh, opportunity to provide. Um, uh, that said, you know, what I found in Comoros, uh, uh, like I found, uh, you know, basically everywhere I had gone in East Africa was, what people had they were willing to share because uh, yep. what they really wanted was conversation. They wanted mm-hmm. to laugh. They wanted to learn. They wanted to hang out. Um, so, you know, provided you were willing to uh, uh, commit your time uh, and engage with them positively, they just wanted to hang out, man. Uh, and that's, that's what it was about. So, uh, you know, whereas in most countries throughout East Africa, I found myself playing soccer with the local children uh, in Comoros we were actually playing volleyball uh, it was volleyball on the beach all day you know all day long wow. uh, which isn't something that I uh, uh, I expected necessarily uh, um, but yeah it was uh, it was an interesting uh, uh, month for me because uh, it, it really did feel um, much more primitive than what I was used to uh, you know uh, it took days uh, to mow your front lawn because you don't have a lawn mower right these guys are out there Shearing yeah. them with uh, uh, manual blades and uh, working their butts off all day long but uh, uh, yeah we were there actually uh I was there in support of uh, a school building evolution um, which was fantastic uh, you know watched the school go up uh, you know before my eyes um, but yeah Comoros was a was a very unique stop uh, very different than uh, than the majority of my stops uh, around the world uh, just because it is so Isolated. I mean, imagine being on such a small island, uh, whereby shipments of food and drink arrive once every two, maybe three weeks, maybe more, uh, if there are issues with the, uh, you know, the, the, the shipment or if the, yeah. the weather or the tide don't align, mm-hmm. uh, um, to be that reliant, uh, on one boat and, and to be that reliant on, uh, the tides and, and the Mozambique channel, uh, working to your favor it, it's it's a pretty interesting uh existence for sure
0: yeah that's that's why i was uh, interested to to hear about that part of the world because it's not always you don't hear you, you rarely hear anything about it you rarely hear you know but I, I know it's a place that um could um uh, not cool but it's a place that most definitely has a lot of tourist opportunities and if People were aware that hey, that's a great holiday spot. But, sure. you know it's well, just in uh, it proper marketing the too. Islands, the
1: Comoros Islands are not the Seychelles. Yeah, you know I I, I I can I can promise you that. Um, you know there is there is a a, a, a tourist um, portion of the island. um There's no question. But even mm-hmm. as a tourist uh, on uh, on Grand Comor, your experience is going to be very different um, than, than what you're expecting, uh, you know, again, in, in in an island destination like the Seychelles. Um, and while I was there, look, there was some, uh, you know, there was some unrest uh, while I was there. Um, and I had met a, a lieutenant um, in the Comorian Army uh, who had actually uh, trained uh, in the United States. Um, great guy. Uh, I spent a lot of time with him, really enjoyed uh, my time with him. Uh, I don't remember his name. I really don't. Um, but not long after I had left Comoros, um there was an assassination of a Comorian officer. Oh. Oh, uh, wow. Now, was it him? I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I but that really stuck with me. Uh, you know, whether it was him or wasn't him. I don't know. I really don't. Um, but to have learned that uh, you know the assassination had occurred, uh, you know, days after I'd left, uh, and I'd interacted with these folks so closely for so long, uh, mm-hmm. you know that. It really is a stark reminder of of you know how 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 quickly things can change and how an idyllic location like the Comorian Islands uh, has an ugly side too. Uh, and I think every country has that. Um, but that was a very uh, a very stark in your face kind of reminder to me that some of these places are a little bit more challenging than than even I realize while I'm there.
0: Yeah, that's that's no lie. That's that's true. But um, when I say there's uh, the uh, the tourist opportunity, um, it's it's still something that, you know, because a lot of people tend to look at developing African economies in mineral resources only. And uh, to me, a lot of time, people don't believe in conservation and investing in the environment. And in many cases, that's, the best way to go to prevent some of this violence from happening because it keeps people engaged. It's the best way of keeping people engaged. If you're going to go by the minerals only, the, you, 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 how many people are going to employ? You're not. But if you want to keep people engaged and invested in their communities, it's getting them into conservation, investing in that. And, um, you know, and that's one of the best ways when climate change is affecting all of them too, and it's affecting their security. So no matter what, Absolutely. it's it's a big threat to every aspect of their economies, which is unfortunate.
1: I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you a really funny story too that uh, happened in, in in Comoros. So uh, uh, we had a a member of our team. Um, he 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 contracted malaria, uh, and we had to uh, medevac him to uh, to South Africa uh, for treatment. He he you know his fever went through the roof as. Uh, as it so often happens with uh, uh, malaria. Yeah. Um, as a result of that, we all had to go get tested for malaria, right? Uh, as you can imagine, um, <laughs> when we went, uh, there were a few of us um, and uh, this clinic, it was an outdoor, outdoor open air clinic. And I'll never forget this. And people don't believe me when I tell them this story, but it, uh, it, it is 100% true when we got there. Basically, this was going to be a three-day Situation: We would have to return to this clinic uh, every day for the next three days. And wow. what they did is they had opened up a uh, uh, a razor blade, uh, not unlike uh, you know a, a razor blade that you might use to uh, to scrape something off of your, your windshield, right? Uh-huh. And they sliced they sliced our index finger, right? Mm. Put a blood uh, a drop of blood on the uh, on the petri dish, right? Yep. Uh, next day, they slice the index finger on the other side and do the same thing, right? Mm. On the third day they we, they they brought us back in again open air clinic and as you can imagine um, you know uh, a group of white guys getting tested for malaria uh, in an open air clinic on um, the comorian islands is not something that uh, that folks see all the time so we we attracted a bit of an audience uh, <laughs> on the third day they um, they have to slice our fingers again but wow. they will would- Use one of the two fingers that they've already sliced. So you had to choose, uh, uh, you know, which finger they wanted to, you wanted them to slice open. Whether it was your index finger on your left hand or your index finger on your right hand, which had already been sliced open. So you're real ah. cut. Um, and, and just one of the guys on my team was just definitely afraid of blades and needles and.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, he fought it and screamed and just made an absolute, you know, uh, uh, ruckus. And uh, we attracted the, the largest group of people. And they're just laughing, just, uh, you know, getting an absolute kick out of watching uh,
0: ah.
1: supposedly tough American military guys. Uh, yeah. uh, crying like little babies because uh, we had to get our fingers sliced open. <laughs> uh, just us had malaria. So uh, that was uh, that was really interesting. Uh.
0: If if only they had seen us in boot camp when we are taking our shots.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! What a day that was!
0: Huh? What a day that was! Oh, oh man! So uh, let, let, let's jump away from um, East Africa because you did you've been to other parts of the world, and uh, there's still other topics that I'd like to cover. Um, yeah, please. That's the uh, you 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 also jumped into east europe and your travels there were not just limited to just um an ordinary it wasn't just um an ordinary tourist uh venture it it was also tied to um a spot that we both share a lot in common sure uh, it's it's a favorite of ours so um well, how did how did that your, your adventure in East Europe begin? Or what, what triggered you to go into East Europe?
1: Yeah, so um, you know, I told you I'd grown up with some uh, some folks who had uh, immigrated to the United States and had had some friends from Eastern Europe. So I'd always been interested in uh, uh, in that part of the world as well. Um, you know, quite honestly, um, the former Soviet states have always kind of appealed to me. The breakup of uh, Uh, Yugoslavia and the the countries that uh, were born of that uh, have always appealed to me Um, but uh, my first uh, foray into Eastern Europe if I'm not mistaken was actually um, Latvia I went to uh, to Riga Latvia Um, and while I was in Latvia um, I did uh, uh, get my first uh, uh, Champions League experience Uh, so you know you were talking about soccer you mentioned uh, that that was something that you and I had kind of uh, bonded over, uh, as we established a, a friendship and a relationship. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the, the first champions league experience is, is, is impressive. Uh, it, it, you know, when you hear the, uh, uh the, the music over the loudspeaker, that champions yeah. league, uh, anthem, uh, that's powerful. And that's something that, uh, that'll stick with me as well. But, uh, I was actually at a qualifier, uh, in, in Latvia. So it was, uh, Scanto Riga, uh, and Wieslik Krakow. Uh, you know, so a, a, a Latvian side and a, a Polish side, Polish and, side yeah. um, you know, this, uh, this stadium, it's, it's not a world-class stadium. I mean, it's, a it's a stadium in Latvia that exists on the outskirts of Riga. And, uh, um, I remember, you know, as I was buying my tickets, I was approached by, um, a bunch of really big, loud, aggressive, uh, soccer fans, uh, and, uh, I recall them asking me, you know, who, who are you supporting? Who do you support? Who do you support? And, uh, you know, not knowing what to say, cause I didn't know who, who, uh, who they were with per se, cause I wasn't really familiar with these clubs. Um, I said, look, man, I'm, I'm neutral. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just an American trying to take in a, taking a soccer match, you know, and, uh, turns out these guys were fans of, uh, Krakow. Uh, um, and as I learned later on, the, uh, uh, the history of the Wisla Krakow hooligans is one of extreme, uh, violence and aggression. Uh, you know, so I, I laugh about it now and, and they were look, they were, they were plenty nice to me at that point. Wisla uh, Krakow did end up winning that match. So everybody was, it was, it, it all worked out just fine. But, uh, yeah, when you, uh, when you go to your first European match, uh, it, it does hit a little bit differently, uh, than does say an MLS match, uh, yeah. uh here in the United States, um, you know, and and beyond. Uh, Riga and Visa Krakow, I did uh, attend a, a Dinamo Kiev match uh, in Kiev, Ukraine, and that really was, uh, felt like anyway, like true European football, uh, and that was, uh, that was an awesome experience, for sure. Do you
0: remember who Kiev w- was playing for that match? Um,
1: Dinamo Kiev was playing, uh, it was a league match. They were playing uh, um, Tavria Semferopol. Oh, wow uh, who, who I, I think it's actually one of the clubs that folded uh, when the yeah. uh, Ukrainian uh, premiership kind of fell apart during the uh, um, you know Russian engagement if you will mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah
1: and uh, you know to be in Ukraine at that time too uh, in advance of the uh, kind of the Russian uh, advancement if you will uh, was interesting also I remember um, sitting with some folks and Ukraine is a different animal. Um, you know, I, it, it took me a long time to find people that were willing to engage with me in English uh, in, in Kiev. Uh, and it was funny because I knew they could. Uh, I knew they could. Um, Kiev was a fantastic place. I love it. It's a beautiful city. And uh, Once you get the people to loosen up, they're really wonderful people. It just took me a little while to get them to loosen up. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, they, <laughs> uh, asking for directions in Kiev, Ukraine was not... Uh, uh, the easiest uh, thing that I've ever done uh, uh, in Eastern Europe, but uh, you know, I do remember having conversations about uh, at the time. Uh, I believe it was Vitali Klitschko uh, was running oh, yeah. for, uh, for leadership positions in Ukraine. Oh, that,
0: so that, that was when he just, mm-hmm. right that's when he announced that he was going exactly. to exactly.
1: Exactly. Oh yeah, that's yeah. true. I
0: was in Bahrain then. That's true. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and there was know, that,
0: that's true. You invited me for one of your trips, and I thought you were kidding. I was like, nah, I don't know, Eastern Europe. <laughs> I didn't take you seriously. <laughs> now I'm like, dang it, I should have gone.
1: I probably say come with me to, to Serbia or something. And you're like, I'm not going to Serbia. I was
0: like, man, this guy, I, I don't take him seriously, man. I'll tell you you're a kid. And then I, I think you showed me photos or you, you started telling me about it after you after you came back. And I was like, dang, you know what? I should have gone. Yeah. <laughs> have yeah. Gone. <laughs> Eastern Europe is a beautiful part of
1: the world, man. And uh, you know, one of the one of the folks um, you know, I I had a, you know, I I take it as much history as I can while I'm out there. And I've gone to uh um a museum. This was in Latvia as well, called the uh, the History of the Occupation of Latvia or the Museum of the Occupation of Latvia. Mm. Uh, and I remember distinctly, you know, because Latvia and the Baltic states, uh, Lithuania and Estonia, both countries I've been to as well, and and, and think are fantastic places. Uh, they've had it. They've had a rough go, right? Yep. Uh, uh, World War II was rough for them, uh, you know, uh, uh, while the Nazis claimed those those countries they actually never fell and they're very proud of that fact uh, but they were occupied to a certain extent but as soon as world war Two wrapped up right who took over the soviets the soviets uh, yeah. so, so the baltic states have had a tough go and uh, an older woman in Latvia had stopped me and said look uh, you know they appreciate that I'm there, that I'm traveling, that I'm taking in the history and the culture. Uh, but they said, "Look, uh, you know, folks in the Baltic states are happy. We're nice. We're friendly. We're welcoming. We want you here. And the reason being is, for years and years and years, we didn't have the opportunity to, you know, experience, uh, you know, entertainment and nightlife and tourists and 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 host guests and and have the kind of fun that we're having now." So she said, "Even though you know, uh, many of us don't have much." you know, we want to share it with you and we want to have fun. We want to be nice. And uh, that's why, you know, you enjoy coming to places like Riga and Tallinn and Vilnius uh, because we appreciate what we have because we haven't always had it. And that was always a pretty powerful statement for me as I uh, traveled throughout Eastern Europe, that that stuck with me. that, That sounds a lot
0: similar to, you know, places you've been to in Africa, people not having much, but always willing to share whatever they have always. with always. any guest they meet. Even though they know that the guest has more, they, they, they don't care. It's like, we are just happy to see you here. And come, come, just come, come share. Come, come, whatever I'm eating, come eat with me. Whatever I'm drinking, whatever. come drink with me. Like, w- 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 the hospitality is, is amazing how amazing. much uh, uh, people, in even in Bahrain, you experience the same thing too. Once they just you met people and... They knew you were from outside and you're willing to engage. They, they were just open to you and like, Come, you know. That's why I used to go sit down at the, the taxi stand outside the base. I just right. said, Hi, as soon as you just said, they're like, Oh, come, you want to come sit down? You want to drink tea? And I'm like, Yeah, I just want to get just chat with you guys. And they were just open and they, they, you, you got information, you got so much gist, gossip, whatever, but it was just cool and. I, you know the moment you're just willing to engage and just talk to people yeah. and you're not coming there to show that you're superior, or you're exactly not coming with that mentality of arrogance, the people just open up to you and they accept you. That's exactly accept it. You. And, and I wish people will understand, but you know, it's it's funny how you know the, the people in Latvia may not be aware that you know people in Africa share that same mentality, and some people in Africa may not be aware that the people in Latvia and themselves have that same hospitality oh. spirit going on, but Well, that same mentality exists in in
1: Turkey and it exists in Lebanon, two of the friendliest places I've ever been. Um, You know, uh, that that exists. And, you know, even if, you know, in in Ethiopia at times, you know, we were eating Nile carp straight out of the lake, you know, or nothing but boiled potatoes or, uh, you know, a a, a chopped up ear of corn. Uh, It didn't matter what it was. That wasn't the point. You know, the point was, uh, you know, it's, it's a shine, It's a, it's a, it's a sign of good faith. You know, yeah. I'm willing to share what I have with you. If you're willing to sit down and engage and share with me what, what, you know, what you bring to the table, it's, that's all it is. It's a sign of good faith that we're, oh. we're in this together. We're here to get along and learn from each other and have fun together and, and maybe share something special for, for a few minutes or a few hours. Uh, and that's what it, that's what it is, man. That's true. And we've lost that in, in the United States to a certain extent. You don't see that as often here in the United States. Uh, strangers don't just invite you to sit down and drink coffee. Uh, you know, they don't just invite you to to share a meal with them. Uh, you know, you do get that in other parts of the world. Uh, and and I, I think it's a problem here in the United States. Uh, you know, we don't recognize each other's humanity uh, to the extent that uh, other cultures do, do you know. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, that, 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 that was going to be a, a, a question that w- I was going to ask. Because I think that's why a lot of veterans, um, when they return from, you know, when they get out of active duty and they, they come back home, it's probably the reason why we struggle, you know, especially those of us who've been stationed overseas, who've experienced this kind of life. And, you know, I talked to um, one of my guests who who, stationed, who, who now lives in Germany. And uh, I've seen a few who live in other countries. And it's like, you know, once you experience something like this, it's like, I, I don't see how I can come back and stay in America and try to readapt to the American way. Yeah. So it's like, I just want to go back and end up uh, in that environment and be accepted there because i am already accepted over there. And mm-hmm. it just, it's easy for, the, for them to just continue in that life. So they just return back there. So. And, you know, and it's, it's important for me to, to, to
1: say this too, um, you know, throughout my travels, it's not all been good. It's not all been pleasant and fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I've experienced some, some, uh, some, some, you know, really difficult things as well. Um, so I don't want to make it sound like everything is roses in, in, in these countries, uh, you know, as well as anybody, that's not the case. All of these places have their own problems. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in Ethiopia, I remember distinctly, and you, you know how I feel about Ethiopia. I love Ethiopia; it's one of my favorite places in the world. Um, but I remember um, visiting a an orphanage, um, and there was a young girl uh, whose face I'll never forget, um, who was silent the entire time I was there, and I I went there multiple times. Uh, she never spoke. She never spoke. She never spoke. She never spoke. Uh, while the other kids were out playing and laughing and having fun and dancing and singing and, and eating and and doing the things that kids do, this girl didn't do any of those things. Um she hung by my hip, you know, and I appreciated that about her. Uh, when I finally, you know, worked up the courage to uh to to speak to the sister uh who was overseeing the orphanage about this little girl, uh, you know, basically what she had said was look, this girl has experienced more in her life than anybody should have to experience. Both mm-hmm. violence, and sexually, uh, you know, she was abused uh, for wow. the majority of her young life. And this sister told me she lost the ability to speak. She does not speak anymore. She used to speak, yeah. but the violence and the abuse that she had endured, uh, she lost the ability to speak. And the trauma has- The trauma. That effect. yeah. And that sticks with me too. So while I, I recognize the beauty of these places and I can speak yeah. about the beauty of Ethiopia for days and days and days, there are some really really harsh realities uh you know about these these places as well uh again the same can be said of all of these the united states and these you know western european countries that we all think so highly of we've all got our own problems as well yeah. um but yeah i've been i've been taken advantage of i've been swindled and criminalized and i've, I've witnessed uh, uh you know the effects of violence and poverty and uh you know uh, I've I've visited refugee camps. Uh, I've seen a Somali refugee camp in Ethiopia. I've seen um, Palestinian refugee camp in in, in Lebanon. I, I I can appreciate what human suffering looks like as well, and that's a part of this also. You know,
0: you recognize the humanity, and that's that's important because if you do not recognize the humanity, then you you just fully gloss over the you know you make everything look like a paradise. And I think that's right. where people make the mistake, because you know it, it doesn't. It doesn't mean because we say we talk about the beauty, we don't recognize the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like I, right. I said with uh, a guest who I recorded with yesterday, uh, the different episodes that will be coming out. Well, it will, it will come out well before yours. But um, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's important that you mention mentioned that too, because uh, life is not just um, one straight line or a horizontal line or, you know, it, it's why I tell people that we, we, need to know our history and our history is not when we I say we need to know our history. It's not just always a colorful thing or we just want to identify with one part. We need to identify with everything. Yeah. And we use that to build towards a better future. That's the goal. Yep. That's why you don't get to the
1: next peak. If you don't, you know, endure the valley, you know,
0: exactly. So now that I've mentioned the word history, yeah. um, and now we're going to dive back a little bit, you know. <laughs> so you, unlike a lot of people who I know, you know, I'm um, not generalizing that much, but uh, <laughs> you you took uh, an interest in knowing your history, in trying to figure out where you're from, where your, your family is from, your heritage, and uh yeah, you mind sharing with us a little bit about yeah. that and you know because I, yeah, I believe so, that also plays a, a part into um in, in why you are extra special yeah, so
1: so absolutely and that's uh you know I'm glad that we can talk about this because uh, quite honestly you know, this is what your show's about, right this is uh, uh immigrant stories, right Well yeah. my ancestors were immigrants too. my immigrant story is a lot different than the the immigrant stories that you're, Uh, uh, featuring predominantly on your show, but there's still an immigrant story attached uh, to me as well. Um, And it's one that I've been interested in my entire life. I've always wanted to know who I am and where I come from and uh, the uniqueness of my last name that, uh, uh, you know, always catches people off guard. They struggle to say it. They ask where it's from, what it's about. Um, So it's something that I've always pursued, Um, you know, very aggressively in in, in recent years. Um, you know, with the help of my younger brother and and, and my grandmother, we've uh, done a whole heck of a lot of research and uh, we believe we've finally uh, uh traced our history to uh, uh the progenitor. Uh in other words, the first of my family to uh to make his way to the United States. Um so my immigrant story actually starts back in the 1640s, the 1650s. Wow. Uh that's when my family arrived in the United States. Um so we've been here a while, right? Um, but it's more than just the fact that, uh, you know, we got here in the 1650s. It's how and why we got here. Uh, we believe the first of our family in the United States, um, was a member of the Dutch West India company, right? Um, he was hired, uh, uh, to come here or or, or he served in a military capacity and and he was brought to the United States, um, to fight the Indian Wars, right. To, uh to settle, um, uh, parts of New York, uh, that were still very much inhabited by the native occupants. He was an Indian fighter. Uh, and that's, that's how we got here. And that's how my story started here, uh, in this country. Um, so, you know, it's, it's fascinating to, to, to understand that. Yes. You know, my family does uh, come from the Netherlands, uh, which is something that I've always known, uh, but couldn't confirm with 100% accuracy. Well, we're there. We're at that. We've achieved that now. Okay. Uh, You know, I I know where my family comes from, uh, you know, uh, Middleburg, Zealand, uh, which is an island, uh, a a Dutch island, um, a a seafaring island. Um, And again, we arrived here, uh, uh, you know, as as members of the Dutch West India Company, uh, uh, an organization that has kind of a difficult past. Um, so with, with that, uh, there's a lot more to that story and, and, you know, we have uncovered some things that are, uh, you know, not pretty, right. I, I'm proud of my history. I'm proud of my family. I'm proud of what we've achieved in this country, uh, over the last couple hundred years, certainly. Um, but in doing some research, we've, we've uncovered some things that, uh, aren't, aren't easy to swallow per se, um, you know, as you learn who your family is and where they lived, there are ways to learn more about them. And one of the ways that, uh, that we've found, uh, or that we found success doing that is through farm records. Wow. Um, uh, there are farm records that are maintained in New York for some of the families that, that, uh, uh did pretty well for themselves. And within those farm records, you can see who, um, uh, lived on those farms, who occupied those farms, who worked those farms, um, and one of the things that we've uncovered recently is that there are members of my family who at one point on their farms, uh, did maintain slaves, right. Yes. Uh, it, not overwhelmingly surprising, not unbelievably shocking, uh, considering again, that we came over as members of the Dutch West India company. And, uh, I think we know enough about the slave trade to appreciate how that began and with who that began. Um, but to learn that, uh, and to know that that is part of who you are and a part of your story, again, while I'm not surprised by it, it's still, it still hits a little bit differently when you see your name attached to that. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, it's, it's, it, 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 it's different. Um, so that's some of the stuff that I've uncovered recently. And look, there's a lot of good that's come from my family in the last uh, 250 years in this, uh, this country um, or more. Um, but there's a lot of bad as well. And that's something that uh, that I'm just now beginning to uh, to wrap my arms around and understand uh, as some of this information comes to light.
0: But you're not willing to shy away from saying that there's bad has come along with good. You know, a lot of people will just focus on saying, "Oh, the only really good that came," and you know, try to push the bad to the corner and be like, "Yeah, we didn't see it. No, you know, we, 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 didn't. we don't acknowledge it. So if you don't acknowledge it, you know, it never happened. And if it never happened, then we're clean." You know, no. that kind of thing. And uh, it's important for moving forward because how, how, you, how do you um, not repeat the mistakes of the past if you don't acknowledge that it happened? Right. Right. You no. Know?
1: Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, it, 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 is slave ownership a difficult thing to wrap my arms around? Of course it is. It's a difficult thing for everybody to wrap their arms around if they, if they uh, uh, give it the attention it deserves. Right. Uh, you know, there are there are folks um, who have descended or who have descended from slaves. Right. It's a different, difficult concept for them. Right. Um, so I'm not I don't I'm not seeking sympathy or support or anything like that. I'm just acknowledging that, that, that it is a truth uh, that exists uh, as far as I understand it uh, in my family. It's a truth that exists as far as I understand it in this country. Uh, and it, it's worth talking about, you know, um, mm. But beyond, 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 beyond slave ownership, you know, again, we came over as Indian fighters, right? And just to say the term Indian fighter is, uh, it's a weird thing to say at this point, right? Uh Um, You know, so to, to have participated in that part of American history as well, it's, it's uh, equally troubling you know, but it's, it's real, it happened, you know, and that's, 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 that's what I'm uh, coming to terms with. And uh, again, I'm happy to discuss and share with you, but it's part of my immigrant story, right? And that's what yes. this is about. It's about discussing uh, the truths of what it means to come to this country and, and, and how it happened, you know, and what that looked like.
0: Yeah, because not everybody just came on a ship and was like a trader or a farmer, and, you know? People came here as um, soldiers, you know, and fought. And, you know, we have to admit it. And, you know, it's, it's the truth. And right? we can't deny it. Yeah. But yeah. if that, if they never came, well, we probably wouldn't have all some people like you today. So, yeah. You know, yeah. It, it started with the, a bad reason or the wrong reason. But down the line, you know, it turned out to be good. Because yeah, I guess you you rectifying the wrong that happened in the past. <laughs> uh, you know, I wouldn't say that. I'm just
1: trying to you know be a be a good person every every day, and uh, you know I'm not I'm not trying to right any wrongs per se. I'm just trying to you know live my life and interact with
0: people in a way that uh, makes their day better and not worse. you 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 you're a much better person than than you give yourself credit for. I I, I, I know I know Jeff about he, he was a very he's I can I, I can I can vouch for you. Don't worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. So um, as I begin to wrap up the episode, because you've given me a lot of your time and I appreciate that. um, From all your travels and, you know, from interactions and from what you've learned from your family history, you know, combining all together, um, have you adopted any tradition or culture in your daily practice, or, or your parenting, or your your, your 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 daily life, or your parenting, or how you live, or how yeah. you go about your business, you
1: absolutely, know? absolutely, um, and, and, you know, and, and it's not so much in my uh, uh, personal life, uh, so much as my professional life, uh, okay. but it becomes very personal, uh, and, and, and I'll, I'll share with you what I mean by that. Uh, uh, again, we touched on it a little bit, right? Uh, if you want to interact with somebody in good faith in the Middle East, uh, on the Indian subcontinent, in yep. uh, East Africa, right? What do you do? You break bread together. You share a cup of coffee. You share a cup of tea. Yes. Uh, and I remember distinctly, uh, you know, throughout my my years on that side of the planet, uh, regardless of what we were doing, didn't matter. Uh, at, at twelve o'clock, you were breaking for coffee or tea, mm-hmm. right? Or you yeah. go into a you go into a shop or a souk or a market and you engage in negotiations with a local vendor, right? What do they do? Let me get you some tea or coffee and let's talk about this, right? Um, and if you refuse- it was
0: never straight to business, it was tea
1: for The tea or the coffee. If you refuse to engage with somebody on a personal level, well, they're not going to be real friendly on a professional level, right? That's right. Uh, you are not negotiating in good faith if you refuse to indulge me. For 10 minutes to discuss who you are, where you come from, what you're about. You know, if you aren't willing to share with me, you know, information about your, your, your family structure, uh, you know, your upbringing and where you were born. Well, I, I'm not confident that you're going to negotiate with me in good faith. Uh, and that was a true thing in, in, in the Middle East and East Africa in particular. Um, we would always break for tea. We'd always engage in negotiations over tea or coffee. Uh, And I've brought that with me uh, into what I'm doing now, right? I'm in uh, new construction home sales. Uh, I'm no longer on the sales floor. I'm no longer negotiating deals uh, with people face-to-face as much as I used to. Uh, But during my time on the sales floor, um, I made sure that I had a pot of coffee brewing 100% of the time, 100% of the time. Um, and people who, uh, who work with me who hear this episode will laugh because this is something that uh, I insist upon at this point. But when you get to the office, you brew a fresh pot of coffee. And everybody that comes through your doors, you offer them a cup of coffee. If they accept, you pour yourself a cup of coffee too. And you sit down and you talk. Uh, before you get down to business, you talk. You ask them about their family. You ask them about where they're from. You ask them about what's going on in their life. And you share with them the same. Um, and that has uh, made me very successful. Uh, In this industry, it's helped me to uh, to build very strong working relationships uh, that uh, were born of, you know, a professional transaction, but that exist uh, because we related with each other on a personal level. So if there's one thing that I've brought with me uh, from the other side of the world, it's the importance of accepting a cup of coffee when it's offered and offering a cup of coffee when you engage with somebody new.
0: Mm. Yeah, it it took me a little bit to get into that because I I wasn't, I'm I'm not a coffee drinker and I wasn't crazy about drinking hot tea. So, but as the guy who had to go make purchases for the department, uh, well, for a couple of departments at the command, uh, I quickly adapted to doing that. You know, when I started meeting with vendors, when I realized that um, I couldn't just, because I was like in the American mode of, hey, I'm here for business. I'm here for business. And I'm like, wait, no, this, this doesn't work like that. You know, you have to, they, they, you, you have, if you want to humanize the people you're dealing with, then you have to talk to them. They're going to talk to you for like 30 minutes. Talk about every other thing yourself has family has everything going on. Then you get into business. Yeah. And when I started doing that, I was getting great deals. They were giving me discounts and I knew they were making a profit still. It wasn't like they, weren't make, you know, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't give me those prizes if they weren't making a killing. But the negotiations and everything just felt a lot easier. Everything went smoother. Right. I was like, wow, you know what? If I'd been doing this right from the beginning, there would be less stress. There would have been less friction involved between both of us. And it, it just felt smooth after that, afterwards when... You know so like uh even when my uh my relief took over from me um the guy came and i, I thought i like, look man when you go out that was like one of the first advice i gave him like when you go out to meet with a vendor you know make just when they offer you tea drink tea are you coffee person tell them coffee tea but like me they, they like later on they knew me so they knew that i preferred juice instead of tea so they started offering me juice later on but um, I, I was like, yeah. When they get to know you, then you know they'll offer you whatever your, is your favorite. But at first, they don't know you, so they but take whatever they offer you. Then you can let them know like, hey, I prefer this. This is what I prefer. Sure. You know. Sure. And you know, but he was he was like, but I I, I just want to buy what I want to buy. I was like, no, man, you got This is not your first of all. This is not your country. Well, and that's so, and that's the thing. you it, got to play by their rules. If you Listen demonstrate to, to
1: me that you don't have time for me, yeah, then I don't have time for you. And mm-hmm. the price is the price. Exactly, uh, or you're gonna get what you're gonna get. You know, yeah, you get you to not uh, get more, much more. You, you, <laughs> if you want to sit down with me and let's you know, let's get to know each other and help me understand why it's worth my time to uh, to help you out and and get to know who you you know you on a personal level. I'm gonna work with you, man. Uh, you know, and, and and that's that's something that I, I think is very powerful. Uh, offer the offer the just offer the coffee, man. Offer the tea, yeah. and then accept the coffee and accept the tea. That's it. it it's that simple. Uh, you know, afford people the time, uh, afford people
0: the energy. Uh, listen, talk, listen. share. Yep, you know that's yeah, it. That man. listening is the is the best part of it. It's listening is the best part of it. Yep. Um, so well, along with your, you know, with being everywhere and you know all the interactions, also. Uh, when it comes to food, oh yeah. What what what's your favorite?
1: So I can tell you my favorite and I can tell you my least favorite because I I know (laughs) that one very clearly as well. Um, But I've got some I've got some good stories uh, as they relate to food, as as most people do who travel extensively. Um, I'll tell you my my, my favorite food is Lebanese all day long, all day long, all day long. Uh, Give me some shishtauk uh, and I'm a happy guy. Right. Uh, um, That's that's as good as it gets. Um, You know, I listened to your last episode um, with Miss Natalie and she had mentioned Ethiopian injera, yep. okay? Uh, as much as I love Ethiopia, I hate injera. I <laughs> hate injera. Uh, I just, I cannot, I cannot stand <sighs> it. Uh, you know, there's something about the, the way it tastes and the way it feels in my mouth, I just couldn't get past it. Um, you know, Lebanese, or I'm sorry, Ethiopian food in general is fine, I don't mind. Uh, the majority of that which is wrapped in injera and shoved into my yeah. mouth uh, by, uh, by a stranger, uh, but the injera <laughs> itself, uh, I struggled with. But I will tell you one, one really funny story that I have as it relates to food uh, was actually uh, in Estonia. So uh, I booked a hotel in uh, Tallinn, uh, kind of, you know, kind of in Tallinn, uh, not necessarily touristy, but not so far off the beaten path that uh, I would struggle. Well, when I got there to check in, uh, they had overbooked. So like, don't worry, we've got a sister hotel out in the country a little bit. Oh, fantastic. So they put me on a bus and they drove me out to this hotel out in, in the country, just outside of Tallinn, which is awesome. You know, it's, it's, it's a cool experience. Well, I get there um, and this hotel was not one that really catered to English speakers.
0: Oh,
1: okay. Uh, so I, I struggled to check in. I struggled to do a couple of things uh, because, you know, I don't speak Estonian and, and, and uh, you know, their English wasn't fantastic either. But, you know, I made it to my room and checked in and, and did what I did for the night Uh, When I came down for breakfast the next morning, it was a buffet-style breakfast, pretty common in a lot of those hotels. And I was walking through the buffet line, um, and everything was in Estonian. Everything. There were no English, (laughs) uh, English subtitles, if you will. Uh, Most stuff you can recognize, right? You know, fruits and vegetables, cheeses, and you know, it it is what it is. But there was this one substance uh, I'll never forget it. Uh, It was this, this pink. It looked like yogurt. It was a pink kind of creamy yogurt-y looking substance. And uh, I figured it was strawberry yogurt, something like that, just a, a you know a common breakfast dish. So I scooped a whole bunch onto my plate. Um, I go to sit down and I shove a spoonful of it into my mouth and I am just hit with one of the most unique flavors I think I've ever uh, experienced at 7 a.m. It was herring eggs. It was- Wow. Uh, yeah, they were herring eggs that had been ground into a, a paste. Uh, wow. So it looked like a pink strawberry yogurt, but no, <laughs> I had shoved a big old spoonful of fish eggs into my mouth at seven in the morning, and uh, uh, that was one of those food experiences that I'll never forget. Uh, the, the The taste of herring eggs at uh, first thing in the morning, as the sun's coming up, uh, that's unique. That's unique.
0: Oh man, uh, you gotta make that for your kids now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you surprise them one day, like well, you. Oh, is this yogurt! What is this? I'm like, uh, yeah, now you know what your dad experienced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Welcome to the life. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Hey, it can't just be me alone who experienced this. <laughs> yeah, we all have to experience herring eggs first in the morning. Share my surprise at seven in the morning.
1: <laughs> yeah, dude, at, the, at the end of the day, I don't think there's better food on this planet than than that which is made in
0: Lebanon. Uh, oh. I'll, uh, I'll tell you that. Yeah, all right. Um, so, um, I'm gonna ask. Uh, uh, I was gonna ask about uh, music, um, <laughs> but before music, I, I, um, y- y- your kids are still young. They're pretty young, and uh, you are, uh, our daughters, um, my, my daughter and yours, uh, one of yours, about the same age. Yeah. So, uh, well, now with the, with the pandemic, you know, traveling is a little bit tricky, but down the line do you have any plans to put your daughters on the traveling and get them to experience a lot of the the uh, the experiences that you've had we absolutely do
1: um you know right now my youngest daughter is is two um so i don't want to necessarily spend the money to send her overseas uh uh you know before she's old enough to appreciate what she's really getting herself into but as she grows up we definitely intend to uh uh, to travel, um, I intend to ease my family into traveling a little more than uh, than I did with myself, so some trips to you know Western Europe, uh, you know the Netherlands, uh, for example, i've been putting that trip off for many, many years. Uh, that'll be one of my first stops. Um, no question, uh, but ultimately, yes uh, we we will travel. Um, you know my wife and I have been drawn to uh, um, West Africa as well. Uh, there are a lot of locations in West Africa that we're interested in. Uh, checking out, uh, uh, you know, I don't know uh, if, if you would refer to uh, Namibia, for example, as West Africa. I don't know. Uh, well, Namibia it, is south southwest, more more southwest. Uh, yeah, but Namibia has always been on my bucket list. I, I'd love to get it down on there on my list too sometime. Um, but yes, at the end of the day, yes, my my girls will be exposed to travel at a much younger age than I was. Uh, but I'll I'll probably ease them into it a little bit. I'm not going to. Uh, drop them into, uh, into Ukraine or,
0: uh, <laughs> ah, Hey, that, that's good though. You know, please. You, you, you start them young, but not too young. That's that That makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah. Their um, first
1: stop is not, not going to be a, a Somali village, uh, you know, east of the Tana river. Uh, <laughs> I probably won't, I probably won't them into that uh, situation, but, uh, maybe, maybe at some point, <laughs>
0: All right, I'll tell you,
1: so, I, got a, I got a quick one for you on the Tanner River too. Uh, you'll appreciate this oh yeah. one. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time east of the Tanner River, and when you get east of the Tanner River, it is uh, uh, ethnically Somali. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the borders kind of get a little fuzzy there. Um, you know, the Kenyan government uh, claims that it's part of Kenya, but if you ask the people, you know, they are Somali. Um, and I, I remember being in one of these Somali villages. Um, and I had been playing soccer with some of the, uh, uh the kids, uh, as I so often did. And, and we were right on the Tana at the point, at that point. And, uh, I remember one of the Somali mothers, um, and, and Somali women are some of the most impressive people on planet earth. Um, you know, ask me why, but they are, they are some of the, the, the most impressive human beings on this planet. Um, and I remember distinctly the Somali mother had walked up to me and, uh, you know, a couple of little boys have been acting out a little bit, getting a little aggressive, a little excited. And one of these Somali mothers, uh. uh Pulled me aside and said, "Look, if if the kids start acting up a little bit too much, kick the soccer ball down to the river and make the boys get it." And I, you know, like, what you, you know? What are you talking about? Well, there are Nile crocodiles in the Tana River, right? So the thought was, is these kids were so scared of collecting the ball at the Nile River that if I kicked <sighs> the ball down there once and told them to go get it, they'd stop acting up because they don't want yeah. to deal with the crocodiles in the in, in, in the river. Uh, and I just. I, that was one of the uh, one of the most, <laughs> most parenting moves I think I've ever heard in my entire oh, life. Man. I've never used <laughs> crocodiles to uh, to my benefit before, and I'll probably never do it again. But uh, <laughs> I just thought, what an unbelievable parenting move!
0: Yep that I, I, that that's not um, difficult for me to imagine, but. If I'd been there, I still wouldn't have been able to kick the ball into the river. <laughs> that's the, that's the funny not. thing. Could you I, I, I can, the I like can imagine is. the mom saying it. Uh, it's not difficult for me, but for me to kick the ball that would have been a problem. <laughs> Correct. Correct.
1: And, yeah. and, and to be clear, it's not like there aren't crocodiles in that river. There are absolutely crocodiles in that river. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I thought that was a pretty neat, uh, <laughs> a neat thing for her to say.
0: Oh, man. So with all the places you've been to um, and all the interactions, did that affect your taste in music? Uh,
1: it, it, it did. It did. Um, and what I, mean, what I mean by that is, um, you know, music will follow you wherever you go on this planet, right? Yep. It'll follow you wherever you go. So for me, my taste in music developed because I heard the same things no matter where I went. Now, as I traveled, I tried to indulge in some of the nightlife in the various locations that I went to. So what I heard in Eastern Europe, in the Middle East, in East Africa, and all the clubs, whether I'm in Nairobi or Addis Ababa or Dubai or uh, uh, Istanbul or uh, Bucharest, Romania, wherever I was, uh, Budapest, Hungary. You know who I heard? Tiesto. I heard Edward Maya. I heard Ah. Sean. I heard mm-hmm. Flow Rider. These are the, these people are on the airwaves. No matter yeah, where you go in the world, uh,
0: if you ah, yeah, Tiesto. Now, now I realize where I knew the name from because some, somebody mentioned Tiesto on the podcast recently, and I was like, uh, I don't know if I know that name. <laughs> yeah, I heard his name while I was in Bahrain. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, I mean, to to this day, if I'm trying to psych myself up for a night out. Uh, Tiësto's going on the uh, on the playlist because uh, that's what I've experienced <laughs> uh,
0: throughout my travels. Ah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. yep, yep. So, but now now I I, now I, 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 I do more hurt. of the I search for people from those places instead of uh, just the Americans. I, I try to find local artists now. Yeah, it, you know Tiësto's Dutch. You know, yeah, Edward Dutch. Maya
1: is uh, um, Romanian. You know. Um, but uh, you know, again, you you throw Sean Paul in there. I can't remember oh, yeah. where he's from. But, uh, uh, Jamaica, uh, Jamaica, right? He's he's yeah. from the Caribbean, and um, yeah, you know. So it's it, it is kind of a a, a global flavor, uh, but oh, it, it really exists across the globe. So oh yeah. So so which which one is your favorite? Oh, for me, it's it's Edward Maya, man. If, if Edward Maya comes on the uh, comes on the airwaves,
0: Edward uh, Maya. I don't know if I know that. I probably know okay. the, the uh, song from that artist. Yeah, you would. But I, you... I got way too many artists now. that. I...
1: <laughs> well, when, we, when we get off the call here, uh, uh, just uh, Google Stereo Love. You'll remember Stereo it. Stereo Love.
0: Okay. Yep. Oh. You, you, you know the person that still stays with me? The song that um was big when I was in Bahrain? Um, Ina. Is it Ina? Or? Ina. Yeah, Ina. Yeah. Um, the sun is yeah. up. That song, that was—it's that's still the only song. I don't play any other song from her. That's it's yeah, still I mean, just that know. song. That that she's, that's a, it. she's
1: she's Romanian as well, and uh, but yeah. she uh she makes her way uh throughout the Middle East uh, for her performances. So mm-hmm. she's. Uh, She's well-traveled. Yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with Inna.
0: She she was supposed to come to Bahrain the first, uh, that first time I arrived and then Arab Spring kicked off and she couldn't make it. Well, she probably showed up now a couple of the, times I,
1: I think the same thing. The second time I was in Dubai, she was supposed to be there and I don't think she showed up, but...
0: Uh... Yeah. Oh, man. I, I, oh, man. This this has been fun, man. <laughs> man, I can't thank you enough for this. This has been beautiful. Um, well, yeah, we well, We'll definitely have to catch up soon we haven't we haven't seen each other in a while um yeah so final question what would you like to leave the audience with uh could be a quote from uh, a book um uh, from one of your travels so just anything you would like to leave the audience with
1: yeah yeah man i wasn't prepared for that one uh um But look, at the end of the day, man, I would just say this, uh, and and I've I've said it a a little bit already today, man. We are all exactly the same, even though every single one of us is completely different, right? We all want the exact same things, uh, but we are influenced by so many things about our upbringing and our environment and where we live that uh, uh, you know we, we pursue those things and we approach those things differently. But at the end of the day. You and I are exactly the same, but we are entirely different, right? Mm. Uh, and that's, that's, that's what I've realized um, throughout my life and throughout my travels. And uh, that's what I try to impress upon people uh, as I interact with them personally, professionally, uh, randomly on the street. Take care of each other, man. That's all it
0: is. That's beautiful. And that's the truth. And, you know, we got to, we got to, if we don't take care of each other, uh, there's no way we can, you know, it, it's part of seeing the humanity in, you know, the, once you see the humanity in, in your fellow human, you, 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 you'll be there to take care of them. Yeah. You just offer,
1: offer people that cup of coffee, man.
0: Yeah. That's, that's it you, step. Except,
1: you know, you can yeah. spare five minutes to have a conversation with somebody.
0: Yep. That's a start. That's a, always a good starting point. Yeah. So would you um, have, do you have anything you'd like to plug in? Feel free. No, man, I,
1: I really don't. Uh, I just, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to sit down and have a conversation with you and see your face again, man. And, um, you know, I appreciate that you recognizing that, you know, every immigrant story is different. Mine is different than yours, uh, but I still have an immigrant story and it, it, it's just a little bit older than, than some of those, uh, some of the stories featured on the show, uh, which, which I love. Um, so thank you for, for letting, me, letting me talk and reminisce. And, you know, I look forward to, uh, to listening to your next episode and, and the one after that, man. Hey, it was my pleasure, man.
0: And, um, hey, thanks for coming on and sharing your story. Not everybody is uh, comfortable to share what they know about their family history and go the route that you've gone. But, you know, we need more people to be able to go that route and you know to be able to take that step so it's 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 something that i'm um i'm honored that you chose my platform to do that and yeah we, we, we hope to have more people taking that step going forward and it's about going forward and learning that's what we're about so hey much love to you brother always good seeing you and hearing from you and appreciate you always and to everyone listening say thank you for joining us Don't forget to share the love and um, yeah, keep subscribing, keep joining us. And hey, if you want to join us on Patreon, feel free to do that. We can always use you. All right. Thank you for the privilege of your company. Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoy the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. If you have any questions, comments or have someone who will be a good guest on the show or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com and make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at whitelabelamerican. Thank you for your support.